Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director at B. Riley Financial, where I help my clients in the valuation of their most important assets. I'm also the author of the new ROI, The Return on Individuals. And as always, I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Feel free to reach out. Today on Behind the Numbers, I'm really delighted to welcome my guest, Dana Cornell, who's the CEO of Cornell Capital Management. We're going to have an interesting conversation around uh, real estate investing. Dana, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and then we'll jump in. Yeah, sure thing. So the short story is I am a I'm the CEO of Cornell Capital Holdings. We're a, a private equity commercial real estate firm uh, based out of Buffalo, New York. Gotcha. Now, Dana, I, I deliberately kind of shortchanged you on the intro and in, in how we're going to be talking about the topic today because specifically I want to kick this off with you sharing what I'll call your why. What got you uh, involved in the idea of this entrepreneurial role in, in starting Cornell Capital? Yeah, great, great question. I appreciate it. So, you know, a little bit more on my background. I was an executive director at Morgan Stanley previously, managed a large book of business, about $1.3 billion there, mostly in alternative assets uh, for, for about 900 families across the country. So my why really started to take shape over the last three or four years as my frustrations grew quite honestly with the traditional investing structure of that business um, and that framework to to allow me to really quite honestly answer what my clients were asking me for which primarily was transparency understanding what they owned and consistency of returns so those kind of three pillars really started to send me down a rabbit hole to see what is the best way I can deliver that? And am I doing that right now? And the short answer on that was no, I'm not, um, at least in my opinion. I thought I had found a better way to build wealth, a better way to build confidence with my investors and help them reach their goals faster, more efficiently. So that started my transition from Morgan Stanley to the private investment world that we're in now. Um, that's really my why, Dave. That's, you know, I'm trying to be as efficient as I possibly can be and not be all things for all people. But for the right people, we have the right things to really accelerate their wealth building. Yeah, and that's a great backstory. And look, as an investor, I think everybody wants exactly what you just described, right? I was writing it down. So consistent returns, transparency, and knowing what you own. Um, can you share with us how you're able to achieve that now in Cornell Capital Holdings? Yeah, absolutely. So really what we did is I kind of took a look at the traditional style and see what, what was good, what wasn't good. What I found was... Um, you gain a lot of efficiencies by being closer to the project or the investment itself. So we, we achieve those goals by, on one side, partnering with vetted long-term uh, real estate developers that have great track records. Um, and on the other side, I built a network of investors that we've profiled their needs, their wants, really where they fit in. And then I kind of, quite honestly, act as the guide between the two to match individual investors that meet certain criteria. You, of course, have to be an accredited investor. And then I guide those people to the appropriate projects and the right allocation and the right diversification within the private real estate world. So you have direct connection to what I would term institutional style investments, which one are sometimes you don't even have access to those if you don't know where to look or, or how to gain entry. And two, quite honestly, our firm built on doing the proper due diligence. There's a lot of investments out there. Everybody's story is the best, of course, if you ask them. So that's why we're non-biased. 
right? We're agnostic to the developer. We are an advocate for the client and our team, which includes myself um, as a certified investment management analyst and a CFB, an attorney who is a partner at a large firm in the real estate side, a commercial banker. Our main focus is really to vet these, these offerings that I bring to my clients. And if I feel comfortable putting my own money in it, quite honestly, then I send it out to my network. So that's kind of the short version of how we do it and why we do it. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the transparency piece and knowing what you own. Is that in some communication with your investors on a regular basis? Yeah. So, you know, oftentimes there would be confusion. And I think, you know, this is just my opinion, but a lot of products that are in the traditional investing world and wealth management are almost designed to keep people in the dark or at least the gray area. Um, and they're too complex. There's too many layers to really understand what's going on there. So um, when I saw that, and really started to see how that affected people, especially when you're losing confidence in markets, if we go through a down period, one, that's, that's scary enough, and two, not even knowing what you own. And I, quite honestly, most of our clients were business owners, right? So you're taking people that really understood their widget, how their income was derived, had full control, and then you're transitioning them to a portfolio that they're putting all of their trust into somebody else and other investments, other other things that are going to produce the same income with some sort of reasonable probability that that's going to have a success factor for them. So by putting our clients directly in the projects themselves, either as a limited partner or a limited partner in our fund, which just gives you more diversification, you see full transparency, and I think inherently people can understand a real estate investment, how it works, whether you own your own home, owned a rental property. These are just those types of things on a much bigger scale. So people inherently understand how it works. And then with the added transparency of seeing through to the deal and seeing the numbers and seeing what's happening, that gains a different level of confidence. Yep. And you mentioned consistent returns, and consistency is one thing, and everybody wants to get the bang for the buck, right? Risk, reward, appropriate. Uh, are you able to share what those returns are? I noticed on your website it mentioned something like with regard to equity-like returns. Yeah, so really what we're trying to do is bring comparable risk to publicly traded investments, whether it be equity or fixed income, um, but ideally outsized returns. So most of our equity-type investments whether that be self-storage, multifamily investments, student housing, um, senior living, you name it. Um, those are really, we gear towards a 15% annualized rate of return or higher over the life cycle of that investment. So that's really kind of our sweet spot. Hopefully we're above 20%, but consistently we want to be above 15. Gotcha. So if you can consistently do that, you know, and I've often taught on the fact of you know, you know this, being in the financial services world, but the S&P 500 historically has averaged about 7.5%. The difference of an average, right, that's why mutual funds like to talk in percentage of returns and historical averages because that accounts for, you know, the down periods and the up periods. It looks much better on paper. If you compare apples to apples and have a consistent, even if you gave a consistent 7% return, to the average, you'd have about a quarter more money in your bank account over the 20-year life cycle if we compare the S&P to a straight 7% income-producing investment. Yeah, and that's a really good segue to maybe talking about real estate as an asset class, right? So um, I think everybody 
understands that you know, diversification of asset types is important and holding real estate in a portfolio allows you to do that, but you're the expert one and I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, no, excellent point. So if, if you have a portfolio that's primarily traditionally stocks and bonds, that's what most people are, are used to, whether it's mutual funds, ETFs, individual stocks, and any type of fixed income. If you add specifically up to 20 to 30% of a real estate position, and it does need to be, you need to be careful in the structure that you own it to get true diversification. Diversification That essentially lowers the overall risk factor of your portfolio, meaning it smooths out the ups and downs that people are seeing and increases the total return. So it's a natural benefit that I believe everyone should own a, a healthy portion of real estate in their portfolio. Yeah, I mean, for some, it may even seem counterintuitive. I mean, I'll use international investing as, a, as an example. Well, international may have a whole lot, of, lot more risk than the S&P 500, for instance. Um, as an asset class, adding that component does, in fact, increase diversification. So same here. Right. So Dana, yeah. for folks who are interested in reaching out to you, maybe working with you, learning more about your firm, how can they connect with you? Easiest way is jump to our website. It's Cornell, C-O-R-N-E-L-L, Capital Holdings with an S, dot com. You can find all of us there, my bio there, our, all of our credentials for the team, myself, including all of the projects that we have going on. Good. We've got about five minutes to go in this segment, Dana, and I think I'd like to wrap it up with the idea that now we've gotten some folks excited about how they may be able to participate in this. Um, if they're thinking about it, and the next step is, so how do I do it? Uh, you've got a new fund launch coming up. Why don't you talk about that for a bit? Yeah, I appreciate that. So really what we've heard from our client base is, hey, we've done four or five, six individual projects with you over the last few years. Can we just allocate the right amount of money and you help us figure out what that amount should be relative to our total picture and then just do it for us, right? Diversify, we understand your process, we understand how you vet projects. We wanna be in on the next, let's say 10 projects. So that'll be a mixture of what I would call an opportunistic real estate portfolio. You have a lot of things going on in the real estate market right now. People are moving to certain states, moving out of certain states, any migrations like that, um, demographic change, tax changes, creates opportunities, as we all know. So we're focused on Texas through the Sunbelt states and primarily up the East Coast into a bit of the Midwest and broken down really by self-storage because that, in my opinion, has a, a substantial value given where that particular space of real estate is right now. And there's other opportunities that come up. A lot of new build multifamily, when people are migrating to and there's a demand for housing, so on and so forth. So that's what the fund will be. It's 10 to 12 projects, opportunistic to hit a minimum 15% internal rate of return over a five-year term of, of that, that fund's tenure. Um, we do it very efficiently. We don't have a lot of fees in there. Um, we pass those to the to the clients themselves. I came from a fee heavy world, so I'm taking a little break from charging fees for a while and just trying to add a lot of value. Yeah, and that that we'll call it concentrated portfolio of ten to twelve projects allows you to magnify those returns and get what you refer to Absolutely. as those equity type returns. <clears throat> Absolutely. Gotcha. I think that's a great spot for us to take a pause here. So folks in the back, we're going to roll some commercials. Dana, don't go anywhere. We're going to pay a few bills and we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break.
So, I'm kind of new here, but I've noticed a trend. My human does this funny thing where she goes around and gets all my toys, and then she hides them in that basket by the door. You know, but it's always the same basket, and it's always in the, in the same place. And then she acts so surprised when I find them, but, you know, she's putting them in the same basket. Again. It's like, hello? That's where you put it last time. You were the worst at hide-and-go-seek. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about a unique way to invest in real estate with Dana Cornell of Cornell Capital Holdings. Dana, welcome back for round two of Behind the Numbers. Good to be back. Appreciate it. Something I wanted to ask you about in poking around your website, you, you have a, a term out there where you say that you, you help your clients buy back their time, and everybody would love to have more time. Why don't you tell us how you're buying back time for your clients? I'm glad you brought that up. That's one of the main focal points that I, once I really understood this, started to change my entire mindset on how I financially plan for people and then ultimately led to the, the start of Cornell Capital Holdings, quite honestly. So, you know, traditional financial planning, I think people inherently know money's confusing to everyone, right? By, by and large. Um, that's why you and I have jobs that we do. But people inherently understand they're trained to save, 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 make that pool of money they have as big as they can. So at some point in time, they can turn a spigot on and it creates income that they can live on, hopefully comfortably for the rest of their lives. So what I had figured out was and the way we would do that, we would plan for if you had, it doesn't matter how much money, we would take 80% of what you had and plan your income off of that. So conservatively, we would plan if the market made, let's say five or five and a half percent over the long period of time, and we gave you 4% of your money in income, paid that out, you're still growing it a little bit to keep up with inflation. That doesn't account for all the ups and downs of the markets that throws that off. So I could build in as many cushions as I could try to do, and you still were subject to the markets to rely on that income. So the thought process started to switch. And when I found private real estate investments and the high level of income they pay with the tax efficiency they bring oftentimes, I started to reverse engineer that for clients. So instead of working on the top line number, we work on buying your time back by replacing that portion of your income first. So whether you're scaling down into full retirement or you're already in retirement or you've just sold your business, we work the numbers backwards and we, we restructure your allocation to match the income first, which takes all the pressure off that lump sum. And with the level of income, even at a 7% annual income yield, 
quite typically I could give clients the, the income they needed on 30 to 40% of their assets as opposed to 80% of their assets, if that makes sense, the traditional way of financial planning. So that yeah. takes all the pressure off a large portion of your, your net savings. So that's really, to me, that's what people are trying to inherently do. They just kind of follow what they're advised to do it the traditional way. So if you just take a little bit of time to reverse engineer that, your outcomes are much more predictable, uh, much more substantial as far as the income side. Yeah, let's talk though a little bit about the, the mechanics of the, the fund, and we can do it in the context of your existing investments or what you have in mind for this new fund that you talked about in the first segment. But what's the, the typical holding period as an investor makes a commitment, and is there a defined life for this particular fund? How's the exit work, Dana? There is, yeah. That's an important part of the fund, actually. So, you know, oftentimes, and again, I do a lot of this by polling my 2,000 accredited investors that are in our network right now to see what's most attractive and fits best for, for most situations. I found that a five-year time period is comfortable enough for people to stay invested. Beyond that, you know, it has to be the right situation to stay in a longer-term investment. So the fund, I say that because the fund term is five years. So we're only taking on investments that will move to an exit strategy at the five-year mark or beyond. Okay. For folks who are watching and listening, Dana, want to learn more or how they can invest, how can they find you? How can they reach out? Yeah, I appreciate that. Again, uh, just my website, the firm's website is Cornell, C-O-R-N-E-L-L, capital holdings with an S, dot com. Awesome. So, Dana, before even Cornell Capital Holdings, you've been in the investment space, but I want to reach through to your, your depth of experience here in terms of the things that maybe you can share with the audience, um, actionable tips or suggestions that you might have uh, where things from what you've seen and experienced, where do people make mistakes or what are the things that you wish they, they would know coming into having a conversation with you? Oh, man, we could, this could be two more episodes. I'll try and uh, be brief with this. I'm oh, happy to have so, you back, and I think you've got a good seven or eight minutes here, I think, so uh, have at it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions in investing in general, and again, we touched on it a bit before, in my opinion, um, the way that investment portfolios, as far as their, their return expectations are presented, are a bit misleading. So if you really don't dive into how does that equate in dollars and cents to your to your bottom line? You're going to be oftentimes misled as far as where where you expect you're going to go and where you end up. Just quite honestly, you know, I don't know the exact number at this point, um, but the average investor actually makes around three and a half four percent because they make emotional decisions, the wrong timing goes in um, or out of an investment, so on and so forth. So to really meet your goals. And again, it goes back to the big picture of financial planning. If we're even trying to be conservative planning on, let's say, a 5.5% rate of return over the long period for a blended portfolio, but the average investor is making four, that math doesn't work, right? So you're going to have a shortfall at some point. Um, and I think that that is one thing that's often overlooked. And that's what leads me to really lean on consistency of returns. So again, if I can lock in your income and get you a 7 to 10% income stream that we can count on year after year, one, we've already beat the averages, and two, 
we know exactly where that's coming from and how we're going to achieve it. And the tax advantages of that make the tax equivalent yields much higher, right? So um, <clears throat> I think investors have to be careful of one, the expectations and how things are presented to them. And I always would, would encourage them to say, not just in percentages, but what happened over this last 10 year period in dollars and cents. And that will allow you to see the good and the bad. Two, I would make sure that the portfolio is built for the client and not for the institution. So you'll see the wealth management world has in many cases become almost a factory or a machine to gather assets and charge a fee on those assets. And therefore you get a packaged portfolio, which doesn't mean it's built for you or customized for you. It's built for efficiency of the firm. And that to me always bothered me um, when you're trying to tell a story that yes, this is tailored advice to you. However, every other friend and family, you know, that's a client has the same thing with different situations. So I think that's another thing that people need to be aware of. Then quite honestly, knowing and understanding what you own. Um, <clears throat> we touched on this earlier, but I'll tell you, you know, I've, I've rode the wave through the 2007, 2008 crash. I've seen the emotional toll that takes on clients. I know that's still burned in a lot of people's heads. Um, <clears throat> if you don't know what you own and why you own it, it just expedites the fear and confusion in your head in an uncertain time already. So by knowing what you own and why you own it and how it should reasonably respond in good times and bad, that gives you a peace of mind to hopefully be able to sleep much better at night. Which at the end of the day, what I took away from my clients was they wanted to feel secure. They wanted to understand they had enough income. They wanted to know they had enough money to meet all of their goals. So if you can do predictable income and, and rising values on top of that consistently, and ideally you can do it at a level that's, if you meet the criteria and it's an advantage for you to use private investments to enhance your portfolio overall and expedite those returns, that income, you're, you're light years ahead of a traditional investing portfolio. Yeah, and we've got about 60 seconds here, but just to wrap, you said a lot in there, but the, the key there for me that I took away was the emotional piece, right? Uh, riding those, those swings and when, when the market's doing really well and your investments are doing really well, it's uh, often easy to get sucked into the idea that it's always going to be that way. And man, when the downtimes hit, they can hit hard and like you said, you've got to understand what you own and why you're in it so that you can ride out that volatility and maintain that uh, consistent level of return. So, Absolutely. Dana, thanks so much for joining us today. Really a pleasure to have you on Behind the Numbers. Dave, my pleasure. Thanks for having me again. Uh, our pleasure. And we've been talking about unique ways to invest in real estate today with Dana Cornell. Uh, once again, my name is Dave Bookbinder. I want to thank you all for watching and listening to Behind the Numbers. We can't do it without you. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're watching or listening on, and we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.